RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Hey, experiment update. I sold the t-shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, if you want to be number two, um, actually, I think we sold a couple, but uh, if you'd like a uh, t-shirt, with my logo that you probably look at every time it gets downloaded if you subscribe to City Ringside. Uh, be sure to go on Pro Wrestling Tees, Backlash David Penzer, and those are available. And we actually sold a few. So uh, uh, like I had said a few weeks ago, it was more of an experiment to see if anybody cared. And a few did. So uh, we thank them and uh, humbled that anybody would want a shirt with that logo. But uh, for the, if you still uh, want to get one... Uh, be sure to head over to Pro Wrestling Tees. Just wanted to knock that out at the beginning, a little uh, update on our project. So I um, want to thank those who purchased it. Also want to um, mention that uh, interesting situation this week. We were, um, uh, as I mentioned last week or the week before, we were scheduled to have, uh, or we were attempting at least to put together uh, pod, this podcast with Colt Cabana. And things were going good, and um, turned out at the last minute he had a um, a conflict, which I totally understand because by that time the, the by that time the time and date was locked in, uh, so and we couldn't get it any other time. So um, didn't think anything of it, and then uh, got back to me, and they said, "Oh, we got a replacement for Colt Cabana. It's Evil Uno." And so I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, storyline-wise, did uh, did the exalted one uh, pull Colt Cabana off my podcast appearance because he's unhappy with him? So I'm going to ask Evil Uno, and I'm it's sort of, you know, it's 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 something out of left field because I'm not all too familiar with Evil Uno, but I've been doing a lot of research on him and uh, his an interesting story. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him and going a, a little bit out of my comfort zone and. It looks to me like, and we'll ask him, but it looks to me like he is the first uh, person or him and Stu are the first team to kind of integrate the genres of gaming, video gaming, and professional wrestling. So uh, as, as somebody who has a, um, a gamer as a son, uh, that's, I find that extremely interesting. And he's also an AEW fan, so... Uh, should be good stuff. So he'll be coming up in just a few minutes. Also, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Eric Young, the Impact World Heavyweight Champion, is scheduled for next week, and we're going to try to make that happen. And we will have Colt Cabana back uh, at some point soon. So if you're looking forward to that, he will be back. That was uh, – I really appreciate the AEW people uh, being able to uh, get us evil uno at the last minute. Um because of the conflict, so I appreciate that they went above and beyond, and I want to thank them uh, very, very, very much, so that we could bring you this thing we call a podcast. If you don't, don't. If you don't, if you don't subscribe to the podcast, be sure to do so uh, on wherever podcasts are found. We're on all platforms, and you will have it dropped in your imaginary podcast box uh, Monday mornings each and every week with a different guest, and. Um, 
if you enjoy it and uh, you like what you hear, be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends and neighbors. Uh, go on social media and let them know to check out City Ringside. And you could follow me finally on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word at David Penzer. I even got uh, earlier today. I even got uh, a rib solved uh, uh, on Twitter. Somebody I had had a rib plate on me. Well, I've had a lot of ribs played on me, but I had a rib plate on me in WCW. I always thought I knew who it was, but I never knew. And uh, get up this morning, and somebody had put a clip of Norman Smiley t- telling the story of uh, Brian Nobbs being the person who it was. So thanks, Nobbs. I owe you one. But uh, it's it's funny the. Social media is crazy that find out 20 years later, 25 years later, who put his uh, underwear in my briefcase. It's such a mature uh, topic to talk about. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk right now to the founder of the Dark Order. He is a senior member of the organization. We're going to find out about his story and the Dark Order in AEW, which you could watch each and every week. On TNT, who'd have thunk it? Uh, Eight o'clock on Wednesdays. I do know that in the next coming weeks, uh, they may have some schedule changes due to the basketball playoffs. So check your local listings. But that is a regular permanent time, Wednesdays, eight o'clock Eastern time on TNT. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Evil Uno. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week is the founder of the Dark Order in All Elite Wrestling and now a senior member. I think that's good to say. His name is Evil Uno. Mr. Uno, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I know you were supposed to have Colt Cabana originally, but uh, Mr. Brodelie thought it would be best if I would do this interview. I was going to ask you about that. Is I guess he still has heat with the boss, huh? with the, the, the exalted one. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to mend the, the, I'm trying to get them back together, if you will. I'm trying to play both sides and make sure that everyone is happy here. Well, tell Mr. Exalted One that um, if, 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 and when it's okay, we'd love to have Colt Cabana, but excited to have you because uh, uh, don't know that much about your career um, and uh, interested to hear your story for sure. Um, how's things going with AEW? Must be nice to have fans back, albeit a few hundred, huh? Honestly, it's a, a vast difference to uh, the the almost five months of having no fans. Uh, even having some some amount of reaction to things to do, to have a back and forth with people, and to have people react to something, and that you can at least understand if what you're doing is is emoting or get or getting a reaction from people is just so satisfying. Especially after five months of not getting it, um, it's uh, it's been great. Well, you guys were lucky and pretty innovative that you uh, were able to have some of the talent that wasn't on uh, the the live events uh, kind of be planted out there, even at the very early stages. I remember the six feet apart with masks on. But um, and so you've always been able to have some sort of reaction, which has been a cool opportunity. I know WWE's moved in a different direction. Uh, other promotions are going with the, the the no fans. But yeah, I got I got to admit, and I, I put this on Twitter. Um, I got goosebumps. I couldn't watch it live, but I watched back the uh, first time that you guys had uh, the fans a few weeks ago, and and they showed them up in this up in the upper levels singing along to uh, to Jericho's theme song after the songs the song stopped and it gave me goosebumps. So, you know, it's just like it, it, it was like sort of like a small little kind of like fo- NFL football being back. I don't know if you're a fan cause mm-hmm. I know you're a Canadian, but um, are you, are you a fan of uh, the uh, Canadian football league? I, I, I'll be 
honest with you, I'm not a fan <laughs> of most sports. I watch, I do watch hockey, and I will watch some football on occasion, but I'm not much of a fan of any team, so I just kind of watch it casually. It's much easier that way. Um, you are a gamer, I understand. Uh, is that correct? And so that I'm really interested in talking to you about that a little bit and exploring that a little bit because, um, I have a son, my youngest son, who, uh, who just graduated with an IT degree from University of South Florida, who is a self-professed, uh, nerd, uh, gamer. (laughs) Um, and so, and he's really gotten into AEW. And one of the reasons he got into AEW is a lot of sort of the cosplay type stuff that, that they, they did at the beginning, um, and, and different stuff like that. So, and I also, I have an older son who's a wrestling fan, uh, also, um, not as, but he plays video games, but not as much of a gamer, but I was sort of telling him about what you used to do. And, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, what you used to do, um, in uh, Chikara Pro Wrestling, where you had a pause button on, and we'll explain it for the fans if they don't know, where you had a pause button on, like uh, on your tights, which was like a, a board, like a, uh, and um, if you press pause, tell tell me a little bit about how that all came about. We're jumping around a little bit, but we usually do. Tell me about that whole gimmick and how you came up with it, and and what what it exactly is, because it's hard to read on a, like a Wikipedia or a, online, you know. Uh, about something like that because it seems a little complicated it is a little a little complicated so it actually started i started wrestling when i was uh, 14 years old uh and so i started training when i was 14 and i had my first few matches when i was 15 and um after my first few matches i kind of had to decide on what my name and my character would be and at the time when you're 15 years old you don't know a whole lot uh you know i'd never even had a girlfriend at the time all i really knew was wrestling and video games and so uh, when it came time to decide what I was going to be, uh, I decided I was going to be a mask character because at the time, being 15, I did not look intimidating. I'm not even sure if I would constitute myself as intimidating now, but um, I, I did not look intimidating at the time. I did not look of age. And so I wore a mask. And the only thing I really knew outside of wrestling was video games. And so I decided to call myself Player Uno. Uh, back, uh, at the time when I started, which was in, uh, 2003 and 2004, um, there was a, there was created characters, which was a new thing in video games where you could create your character and, uh, they would chant player one at the character. Ah. And so I, I, I took the name and I changed it to player Uno just to make it my own spin. But, uh, I never thought it would have lasting appeal. I just thought this would be a good way to start. And, uh, pretty quickly, because most people like video games, at least in my age bracket, um, it started giving me a bit of traction. And eventually, uh, the evolution of that character was just not being a video game fan, was trying to implement video game factors into the wrestling that I did. And so eventually, I got uh, a pair of tights that had pressable buttons. So you could press on a Nintendo paddle, you could press the A button and the B button, and I would press those buttons to hit people or... Or, uh, you know, I'd input a code which would allow me to do a top row maneuver. And then the, the, the one that I'm most known about is from Shikara at the time. Uh, Shikara was kind of a wacky hybrid of, uh, of uh, over-the-top characters but also comedic characters. And um, they were not scared to bend the, the, the rules of wrestling, if you will. And sure. so at the time, uh, because I had that paddle on my, my tights, uh, if anyone would – to press pause, I would stop mid-match and stop moving and stop reacting to things. And so that kind of became my, my, 
my one shining my 15 seconds of fame for a few years was just to do that thing over and over and over and over again yeah um I was telling my oldest son about it yesterday. He's like, that sounds cool as hell. And, and as, you know, and, and as somebody who's, uh, quote unquote old school like me, I, I'm not, I'm not offended by that. You got to roll with the punches or, or, or evolution's going to pass you by and leave you stranded. But, um, it's, it's, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I was, uh, talking to Jericho when AEW first started and, um, I said, and my, my kids love Orange Cassidy and that whole gimmick. And I just, I didn't get it. It's not so much I didn't like it. I thought it was funny. I just didn't kind of get it. And so I was talking to, and my kids kept saying, ask Chris Jericho if he likes it or not. So finally I was talking to him one day and I asked him, I said, my kids are dying to hear the answer. And he goes, I didn't at first. He said, but then I listened to the audience. And who am I to say what the audience should like and, and shouldn't like? If the audience is reacting in a positive way, then that's going to draw money. And mm-hmm. it really opened up my eyes a little bit about, you know, Orange Cassidy and Marco Stunt and some of the stuff like uh, like you were talking about, uh, your video game thing. And um, and so I, I kind of judge it in a different way now. Um, was Were you the first person to kind of combine the uh, uh gamer genre with the pro wrestling genre i'd like to say yes i'm sure <laughs> someone else on a, on a lower independent level might have done it as well i was the first to really be known for it um and before i was also one of the first people to start doing like the the cross content that uh, xavier woods does or even the aj styles or like miro uh, like the twitch right. and the youtube uh so like a decade ago when those were smaller platforms and they weren't nearly as popular I would do those as well, but um, yeah, I, I like to think I was the first to at least popularize it, uh, but eventually I had to get away from being a video game character just because, like all good bits, it runs its course and it kind of pigeonholed me into one type of act when all I wanted to be was a pro wrestler. Sure. Did you ever uh, uh, get the wrath of Jim Cornette for that, or did that kind of uh, fall under the radar? Uh, so I actually worked for Jim Cornette when uh, he was running Ring of Honor for a short period of time. Uh, I was in the bridging period between Gabe to Adam Pierce to Jim Cornette. And so I was there unsigned for about a year and a bit. Um, and Jim, to our face, was never – so at the time, I, I didn't have the video game paddle. I decided that uh, I wanted to stop using that because I, would, I had been pigeonholed into my, that specific act. And uh, – it was already hard enough for people to take me seriously. It was even harder for people to take me seriously when I was the guy who gets paused. And uh, Ring of Honor was was trying to gravitate towards more pure wrestling at the time, um, at least when Cornette came over. Uh, and so I was still kind of a, a, a heavy-handed character and mostly a character wrestler and a tag team wrestler. But uh, Jim Cornette never to my face has told me that he dislikes my character, but I have heard it many, many times on his own podcast or through clips. But just to um, be, I don't think he's a fan. Of just, just to be clear, the whole pause thing, you never did that in front of him? No, never. I didn't do that in Ring of Honor. In Ring of Honor, we were just straight wrestlers. We, we had video game, uh, like we implemented video game maneuvers into our pro wrestling, but I never did the pause or anything like that in front of him. I don't think that had gone over too well. Um, oh, no, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you're doing this back in the day. You're doing this YouTube uh, stuff online. Are you in your, in, in your wrestling mask doing it, or did you take the mask off? 
I've always worn the mask. And so like that's, that's one of the things I've done for the last 17 years. I don't uh, – I, I didn't want to reveal my face just to do some video game stuff. That's cool. Old school. I like it. Um, so uh, you said you grew up a wrestling fan and a video game fan. Who were some of your favorite wrestlers growing up? Who would you look up to? Uh, when I was young, so I, I, I came through uh, uh, – I go leading into the Attitude Era. So when I was much younger, uh, my, fan, my my favorites were – Bret Hart, because I, I'm I, like all good Canadian boys. We love Bret. Um, I also really liked Owen, even though when I was a kid, they were feuding with each other. Um, eventually, like all kids, though, Stone Cold was was the person that I looked up to. Um, when I started wrestling, that's pretty much what got me into wrestling. I was unaware of other things other than what was on television. So I was pretty much a I was really into Stone Cold. I was really into Mankind. I loved Kane. So a lot of the mass characters that they had in, in WWF at the time. And uh, I really liked D'Lo Brown for some reason as well. <laughs> um, I would love to tell you why. I think he's great. I've met D'Lo. He's a fantastic person. But I really don't know why as a child I gravitated towards him. And then eventually I also uh, got into Goldust as well. I think I just liked really uh, blamed characters. You know, like other than Stone Cold, I think I, 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 I gravitated towards uh, – more cartoony looking characters. So you were an attitude era guy. Exactly. And and Delo, I work with Delo now. Delo, he has this he had has this charisma about him that he could just cock his head sideways and 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 it gets you excited. There's uh um I was part of part of that uh, I don't know if you know that Talking Shop America uh pay-per-view and he came out yes. and did a cameo and and all the all the you know younger guys that were there that were watching you know the taping or participating as extras they were all popping you know because they too when they were younger uh as fans uh like to watch Dilo so it's a uh, it's a charisma that uh that that uh it just has. You either have it or sometimes or you don't, and he happens to have it. Good guy, too. He's been on – he actually was on the podcast uh, about two months ago. Fun He's a really good person. Like, I met him through ROH multiple times, and, like, I know as a child the thing I liked the most was just the head wiggling. Yeah. Like, the, the head motions, and, and I would emulate those all the time when I was a kid. So that's probably – what ended up uh, making me a fan? Yeah, I mean, even Gallows and Anderson and Rocky Romero were popping for the head motions in the uh, when he came out to do the cameo. So, uh, you know, they grew up watching that too. So it's it's fun to watch. It's really fun to watch this new generation of of wrestlers. And and I would even venture to say, you know, not rookies. You got you're not a rookie. You've been around for a long time. Uh, you know, Gallows, Anderson, obviously um, have been around for a long time, but they did grow up watching. Uh, you know that Attitude Era, and uh, you know, like I grew up watching Championship Wrestling from florida and dusty roads babyface you know that's what you what you grew up watching is what you remember the Freebirds when they debuted on tbs um so it seems like you broke in uh around the same time around the same area that kevin owens and sammy Zayn broke in uh is that is that correct correct uh pretty much the, uh, they they were pretty much the people that we looked up to in our area. They were the first few to break out into America, and which is uh, was fairly rare out of. Uh, so I'm based out of Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec, right. and so it was fairly rare to have uh, French-speaking wrestlers go out and not only venture further than Quebec, but venture into America, and not only America, but at the times the top independents like PWG, Ring of Honor, and CZW, and so uh, yeah, they they were pretty much. Uh, our idols when starting to wrestle and eventually both of them ended up taking myself and my tag partner under their wing and so 
for many, many years. Uh, they're good friends of ours now, but for many years we we rode along to most shows. And if it wasn't for them, I honestly don't think you'd be talking to me now because uh, the first 10, 12 years of my career are pretty much solely built around the fact that uh, we would drive around with them. And if ha- if that had not happened, I don't think uh, I would have gone nearly as far as I have today. Same guys as they were, even though they were with WWE, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. I mean, I speak to Kevin way more than I do to Sa- uh, to Sammy, but Kevin hasn't changed. He's, he's the exact same person since uh, when I met him when I was 15. So you mentioned your partner, Stu Grayson. How did you guys get together? You were the Super Smash Brothers, which is actually a super cool name, especially for video fans. Um, how, how did you how'd you meet? How did you get together? When did you know that it was uh, it was Jelen? Uh, so I, I was uh, training at the CPW school. So at the time was run by Wayne Kreiderman. He's an Al Snow student. Uh, and uh, so Wayne had trained me uh, back in 2003 to 2004. And I, I would constantly come to the school uh, because it was uh, local to where I lived. And about a year and a half to two years later, uh, Stu started wrestling there. And uh, he came in as a teenager as well. And I, we just happened to be the youngest guys there uh, along with one of our friends. And so we, we instantly gravitated one to the other because uh, we shared interests. You know, obviously when you're teenagers, you love video games, you love movies, you love the same music, you love the same wrestling. And so we we connected fairly quickly and we started realizing that we could complement each other. Uh, he, was a, he was a high flyer of sorts and I was way more ground pace and power based at the, the, at the time. Uh, and I would talk and I had a character and she, he was purely a French speaker at the time. And so uh, we, we started tagging up together because we realized that if we complete each other, we would have a much better chance than if we did it individually. And now 15 years running, we're still together uh, and now doing it on a much larger stage. For sure. I'm always fascinated and I've had a lot of guests on talk that have been part of uh, PWG. I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a cult organization. I, I, on my bucket list actually was to go to one of their shows. I don't know what the, you know, with the state of rest, uh, the world right now, I don't know if when that's going to be. Um, so, um, but talk to me about pro wrestling gorillas. That seems to me like it was sort of your big break. At least it got you noticed by the young bucks. Would that be correct? And tell me about the vibe uh, there with, you know, almost, almost the same people every, every month packed in a small little building going crazy. No, no AC or, or very little AC. I think uh, at the time when we were wrestling uh, PWG and even maybe to this day, it could be uh, in 2020 or 2019, if we want to be a little more specific and positive, but uh it, at the time, it was like the pinnacle of independent pro wrestling. You know, ROH was a TV product. Obviously, Impact was a TV product. WWE, obviously, a TV product. And so to most of us, we we never foresaw ourselves getting to TV because I'm six feet, but I wasn't a ginormous man of six feet six. So when I started wrestling, I never th- thought I would get anywhere because I, I was always under the presumption that I had to be a ginormous guy to get somewhere. But I knew that PWG was the pinnacle of independent wrestling. And so I thought if I can make it there, then I'm at least I'm amongst the best of the people that are within my class, within my, you know, what what my attainable ceiling is. And so PWG is like it's very punk rock in the sense that it has no pay-per-view. It sells only on on DVD. Uh, it's people from all around the world. It's like grabbing the best acts from Europe, the best acts from Japan, the best acts from Canada, 
the best American acts and just putting them against each other. And it's in this little sweat box that should only really fit 300 comfortably, but they put in 600 uncomfortably. And somehow that makes the energy double than what it should be. Because if one person cheers, then the person that's shoulder like stuck to your shoulder to your left has to cheer as well. You know, it, it starts that, that aura that, that cheer starts gravitating from one person to the other, to the other. And honestly, had it not been for PWG, I wouldn't, once again, had it not been for Kevin and Sami Zayn, uh, I wouldn't have been to at PWG. And had it not been for PWG, I don't think we'd be here today because that's where we had our feud with the Young Bucks. That's what kind of built our relationship with them. Uh, that's also where we were finally able to prove that we were more than just the guys who get paused and who, who have a Nintendo paddle on our pants. Uh, because that was at the time we had decided we weren't going to do the comedic stuff anymore and we were going to do slightly more serious wrestling. Now, I still did use a bit of comedy, but PWG was really the place that we proved that we could hang with the best of them. And we had a fairly short stint there. Uh, Maybe it was 2011, September 2011 to... Uh, January 2013, but in that time we won their tag tournament. In that time we won their tag team championships. We have uh, one of the most renowned tag matches with the three-way with uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and the Young Bucks in a ladder match. And that year pretty much cemented us as great wrestlers, at least in our minds and in the minds of many others. And and had it not been for that one year, I wouldn't be making a living out of wrestling and being on national television today. Yeah, uh, I was talking to Willie Mack uh, a couple weeks ago, and Willie was talking about from he used to stand in line as a fan, you know, to get in, and then all of a sudden he started coming out the curtain, and people were like, "You used to be, you used to stand in line and talk to us, and now he's in there." But it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Every time I have a guest on the podcast who, um, who, who, who had participated, I always want to get their their thoughts on it, and it's almost all the same, and. Again, it's still on my bucket list when the world opens up. When did you start hearing? Obviously, you got to, you made an impression on the Young Bucks and and Adam Page and I guess the Elite, as they say. When did you start hearing um, murmurs about uh, a new wrestling promotion starting and uh, that you might they, they might be interested in using you on a full time basis? Uh, so in 2019, uh, we had a series of matches for Ring of Honor. Um, so back in 2013, we pretty much got visa issues with the U.S., which unless we were going to get O1 visas, which are specialty visas, we couldn't wrestle in the States anymore. And so those are extremely difficult to get, and only the top performers get them. And so nobody really gave us a concrete offer. At least we had some offers, but none of them ended up working out. And so... We were never able to go back to PWG after 2013, and we were never able to go back to Ring of Honor or, or any of the independents and make uh, an impression. Um, in Canada, there's a ton of wrestling. There's a ton of fans of wrestling, but no one really discusses it. It doesn't get the same attention that America does. And so um, Ring of Honor was doing tours uh, in northern U.S., and they would have one stop in Canada, which was Toronto, which was a great market for them. And so every time they came to Toronto, um, we would try to, to get onto that. And in 2019, the Young Bucks were allowed to choose their opponents when they came to Toronto. And so they asked Ring of Honor if they could wrestle us. Uh, and so that was May 2019. And in May 2019, we had a match with them. And instantly, right after it was done, they went out and they tried to get a sign from Ring of Honor. Um, 
what ended up happening is that that was also the year that their contracts were ending. And so we kind of became um, a, a, a portion of their contract. And so we kind of be- <laughs> That's cool. became like, like an incentive, you know, yeah. like Ring of Honor was thinking like, hey, we'll sign these guys if you stay with us. And which is really cool because to us, we were like, oh, that's great. That means we'll get the Ring of Honor. But at the same time, we were in this weird limbo, not knowing what would happen until we knew what the Young Bucks were going to do. And so we came back in November to have another match, this time against SCU, uh, uh, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. And in November, once again, we killed it. Everyone in Ring of Honor was super happy with it. And at the end of the night, uh, the Young Bucks came to us and they said, hey, uh, we're not re-signing with Ring of Honor. Um, if anything comes around, we might have something for you. Just let us know. Uh, and that's when they start giving us little hints as to what was coming around. Now, at the time, I didn't fully grasp how big this was going to be. I didn't understand. For example, I didn't know JR was involved. I didn't know Tony Khan personally. I'm not a, I wasn't a... a a NFL fan, so I didn't know who the owner of the Jaguars was. Um, all I knew was that this was a Young Bucks project, and that was enough for me to to sign on, right? And so later in the month after our match with SEU, we were offered a contract from Ring of Honor, and at the same time, uh, the Young Bucks made th- their offer, and that's when we were we started getting inklings of what could it could potentially be. And officially, we signed in January of uh oh sorry that was 2018 uh of january of 2019 and uh we were amongst the very first to sign we just our our visa work just takes a lot of time so we couldn't start until june 2019 i had never heard of canadians having a problem crossing the border to wrestle what would in particular was was your issue out of curiosity uh so uh, you need a, a work visa to get to the states and so uh at the independent level you're not really making the type of money that warrants going through the legal practice of like signing with a company and so on. And so most independents will not sign people to contracts. Uh, there are very few people that would. And uh, the lowest form of people who would sign contracts was Ring of Honor, which is still a very large company. And so until you have an offer from them, you couldn't theoretically get a work visa to work in uh, from Canada to the States. Now, it's not really an issue because most border agents, it's at their discretion if they believe that, uh, you know, if if like we would tell them we go to work, wrestle and we tell them how little we would make and they'd be like, OK, we understand that's not an issue. Yeah, I didn't think it was. I never I thought it was like a wink wink kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So it was never really an issue because most people seem to understand that, like, we're not really make I, I'm I'm not making much. I'm I'm covering my meals, if not like eventually it, w- it would make more. But uh, as we were gaining steam and we started flying to places, that's when people started realizing, hey, you're flying to this place and you're being advertised. You need to get a visa. And so I, at the time, also worked for the government in immigration, and which meant that if for whatever reason we were to reattempt to go to the States and they decided they were flat, they were banning us because we didn't have a work visa, I would lose my employment at home. Ah, I got you. And so instead of trying to take that gamble because we had been flagged and turned around a few times. Uh, we, we wanted to do it. We wanted to make sure at a hundred percent that we had everything settled down, but unfortunately nothing happened. And so it took several, several years until a large company became interested in us. In hindsight, you could have uh, gone over the border and then flown out from the U S nobody would have been the wiser. 
It's, that is true, yeah. That, and that, that would have been the wink-wink way of going about it. But uh, but I guess working for the government in, in, in that department, I guess you don't want to uh, tempt fate too much. Uh, no, at sure. the time I thought it was going to be my career because I genuinely didn't think uh, – I didn't think there was – I thought I had reached my, my ceiling in pro wrestling at the time. So um, you guys debut at uh, All or Nothing, I believe, and um, uh, it was. It, it seems to me like it was always planned to be a big group because uh, even the first night that you debuted, you had a whole bunch of uh, masked uh, 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 supporters around the ring. Um, talk to me about the what what the the idea was behind that group. Uh, so the Dark Order, uh, it kind of became. Uh, a different thing once we hit AEW, but it kind of came from our later years on the Canadian independence. Um, for years and years and years, we kind of were like, bl- like plucky baby faces, uh, underdogs. And when you've wrestled for over a decade at that time, you kind of get tired of doing the same thing. And this was the same thing that happened to when I was doing the comedic stuff. I was mostly tired of just being a face. And so I decided that I was going to change my character. And part of that was playing off my, my figure. I didn't have a, a normal figure that other people had. And so I thought, what's a good way of making people believe that uh, I, I'm a bad person, but on top of that, that I'm, I'm worth investing in and I'm worth putting money into. And so my thought process was that if I'm I'm a mass wrestler who's supposed to be like the leader of of a, of a evil group, and I have a ton of minions do my bidding, then I can be projected to a higher level because there is er, there I have a following. You know, I, I've created a following not only in character but uh, in through the years and years of my work. And so it wasn't much explained uh, in Canada. Like not that many people were questioning what the inner workings of why I had a ton of masked minions around and why I sat on them like they were furniture. But uh, when I eventually signed with AEW, we had told them about this idea, and the idea was that uh, I would I would essentially have a, a ton of minions, and that we would recruit people to join in, and they they would essentially uh, view me as a higher person, so that it would it would elevate us. And so when we started, um, the Young Bucks were are, are very familiar with our work, and they were they were very excited for us, so they they gave us. Uh, a big, big reveal. But we also knew that at the time we hadn't been in America in five years, we had changed our characters. It was kind of going to come out to a whimper, but that we were going to slowly build it up. And that's what happened when we were shown off in May of 2019 at uh, double or nothing. People weren't very excited. People just didn't know who we were because we hadn't been wrestling in America in over uh, seven years or yeah, six, seven years at the time. And so that kind of grew uh, with some discussions with them, and we we started turning it more into a cult. You know, trying to explain where do these minions come from? How how do these people join our group? Why do they join the group? And so it it, it morphed over time. And with TV, when you have TV every week, you have so much more opportunities to tell people who your characters are. And so over the over the weeks, it it became clearer that this was a, a Scientology like cult, and that and that. Uh, Eventually, the higher figure was not me. There was someone even above me, and 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 that we were all doing his bidding, and that's kind of what led to where we are today. 
Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was actually watching that pay-per-view live, and and when you, you guys uh, debuted, I had to Google you. Just, and I was like, oh, the Super Smash Brothers. I had heard of them. So, I mean, you know, so and, – and nothing personal, but you, you said it. You know, you, you had, hadn't been in the public eye really for a while. But you guys – I think they really did a good job with those kind of infomercials uh, uh, explaining what you guys were and, and mm-hmm. sort of putting it in. I, I thought those infomercials were one of the bright – brighter things on the first round of say tapings uh, i really enjoyed them um so you mentioned the exalted one the higher power that's doing the bidding how how did that go was that always supposed to be brody lee did that change if so did it change eight times ten times three times i'm just curious uh you know how how that went um so at first when we started doing the cult stuff that we had no clear picture of what the final direction of everything was that we were just in the infancy of this because tv had just started aw is a brand new product and we were one of the characters that needed to be explained so the first few months was just kind of explaining okay why do i have all these minions how do people join who joins and so the first three months was that and as we were progressing the story um the young bucks and tony uh had had thought that ultimately it would be better if there was a figurehead above us and, and and that would be what all those months and months of story would ramp up to would be a reveal um we initially never knew who the exalted one was going to be um we there was some talks about who could potentially be the exalted one but there was nothing nothing ever on paper uh, all we knew was that we were going to drag this out until we had an eventual reveal uh, before the reveal, I think it was maybe a month beforehand, if not a little earlier, we had inklings that it was going to be Brody Lee. Uh, and honestly, we were we were very happy about it because uh, I've known Brody for over 15 years now and we, we've been good friends. And I knew that if he came in, he would take care of us, you know, and, and it would work because he's a man of enormous stature. He's a man that is heavily respected and never really – got his his moments to shine you know For and sure. so i thought that was really good uh but there was definitely some other names that were thrown in the hat as potential ones i think most of them have kind of come out uh, online but uh i mean matt hardy was uh, an implied one that uh, at one point was a maybe for maybe about two days and then we decided it wasn't but we kind of used uh, uh the the mystery uh and the fact that his uh, his contract was expiring and trying to i was trying to entice people to think that it was him because he seemed like the most obvious subject and so uh that there was that i heard that marty skrull was also a potential but no one had ever discussed it with us uh dr luther i know did some some interviews uh, some uh promos uh as a potential leader as well when it was just in the infancy and that this uh, that moved on to be someone else but Brody lee was pretty much the concrete choice for the last month before uh, the reveal happened in March. Yeah, it was one of the bigger storyline reveals in the, the early days of AEW, for sure, and it got a lot of buzz, especially with Matt Hardy's name bandying about. I thought it was... I, I thought one of the smartest... And and I don't know, you were there live, so you could tell me, but I thought one of the smartest booking moves I've seen in probably a decade uh, was to bring out Brody Lee to swerve everybody, thinking it was Matt Hardy, and then bringing Matt Hardy out at the end of the show as a second swerve. I, mm-hmm. I, as a wrestler, as a longtime wrestling fan, somebody who grew up 
you know, WCW where every freaking week somebody new that we wouldn't know about came out. I thought that was a, that was a nice one, two punch. So everything's going good. You got your exalted one. Uh, things are, things are looking up and all of a sudden COVID hits. How, how, and, and because of, uh, you know, the, the border and all that and Canada, Canada has definitely been stricter, um, on their policies than the U.S. has, uh, cause my wife's family is from, uh, uh, St. John, New Brunswick up in Halifax. Hmm. Um, talk to me about the frustration that you had to feel sitting home watching them just trying to stretch out until you guys could get back. It, it was honestly frustrating because, uh, we had spent, uh, back in December of 2019, we had, we had an event where we had like, defeated all the elite at the end of a show and it was pretty badly viewed by most people i i thought it was too early for us just in general it it didn't come out well and so for the first few months of 2020 we were on that course to to get the exalted one there and we thought if this doesn't work we're we're in we're in a bad spot and in the early months of 2020 everything was really steamrolling everything was going well uh for for a while the mystery of the exalted one was one of the leading pieces on tv uh, like the the analytics and the metrics for it for, were doing really well, and it was ramping up. And we knew that once the Exalted One was revealed in March, the upcoming months were going to be filled with stuff for us. We'd get to finally show off, uh, you know, our, our wrestling prowess because we were mostly doing promos and segments at the time. Um, but then the week before we were to reveal the Exalted One, we were in Salt Lake City, and in the middle of the Salt Lake City show is when the NBA had to stop the game and decided that they were canceling their games. And that's when at the time I, I, I honestly didn't think COVID was going to be that big of a deal. Like I knew it was a thing, uh, but I didn't, uh, I didn't understand the full implications of what would happen. And that's when it became serious. That's like, that's the moment in my life where I realized, Oh man, this is much bigger of a deal than I realized. And so the next week we were back in Jacksonville in front of no fans and I'll, I'll give I'll give props to AW um, for that show. We had thought it makes much more sense to push back the reveal the exalted one uh, because there'll be no one there to react to it. But they knew that if they didn't give people content now, they don't know when they'll be able to give people content in front of a crowd. And so they revealed uh, the exalted one in March. And then by the next week, uh, I was back home in Canada and I was not allowed to travel back to America. And so. At that point, we were on cloud nine. We thought we had finally reached our point that everything's going to start steamrolling. Everything will start going well. Uh, you know, we, we have our figurehead. We'll finally get to do st- stuff as a unit, and we'll finally get to to take a bigger part on the show and wrestle more. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case because COVID had happened at that exact moment. We were stuck in Canada for over three months uh, where the borders were just not open. We couldn't legally come into the country. And those three months was very stressful because they were already stressful because of COVID. And I think for all elite wrestling, because they had to every week piece a show together, not knowing what the next week would be like, not knowing if another, you know, another state would get closed down or another country would get closed down or if someone got sick. And so for those three months, our story kind of just, revolved only on the exalted one without any of the supporting pieces with it which is thank god he was able to make most of those shows because who knows what we would have happened for three months had we not but for three months we were just an afterthought myself and Stu, and we were just at home in canada thinking okay well do we 
come back to work? Will we get to come back to work? We were some of the few international guys. Will we get cut if money gets cut? Um, it was a very stressful time. And uh, I'm glad eventually, obviously, the borders reopened. And uh, and honestly, I feel like AEW has found their groove on how to produce a show in front of, you know, extras rather than fans. It's It's been a... Uh, it's been a journey to get to that point, but the the first three months were very rough. Yeah, it has to be frustrating because, you know, you have to remember back then nobody knew what this thing was. And, you know, nobody knew is if you get it, are you is it a death sentence? You know what I mean? And now that we know a little bit more about it and, you know, who who is at risk and who is is at less at risk and stuff like that, uh, you know, it's still worrisome. But it's a little it's, you know, you got to. You got to put your place, yourself back in that place in history when nobody really knew what the heck was going on, but everything was closing. Uh, it was crazy, and um, and yeah, sounds to me like the timing of it was brutal. But I'm glad you guys were able to get through it. Um, you seem like a, a good guy and uh, somebody who's worked real hard. Well, what do you, as far as your future goes? Are you a you? I'm assuming you're an AEW lifer. When when the Young Bucks make it part of the Ring of Honor re-signing, that you guys get a contract. I'm, I'm, I assume that you're Young Bucks guys, as they say, you know, about different people. Um, I I, I am a Young Buck guy personally. They they've always been good friends to us, and they've always been um, the the some of our strongest supporters. I. I don't envision myself being anywhere else, but honestly, I can't say that without being certain. I really don't know. Um, when this contract expires, I would love to go back to AEW and resign again. I would love to be uh, an AEW lifer, but uh, as is wrestling, you really don't know what will happen. And this year has been a, an eye opener in the sense that uh, from a month to another, I have no idea what my life will be. I'm not even sure, even outside of wrestling. Um, just I not taking anything for granted. So if this is my sole run for AEW, I'm going to take the most advantage of it as I can. But I'd love to be here forever. I'd love to wrestle for the next ten years there, and and I would love to coach afterwards. I would love to have an office job. Um, I I fully I, I I'm fully invested in AEW. Um, I think the world of everyone that uh, is in management there, and um. It's uh, it's been great for me on a obviously on a financial level, but on even on a personal level to finally find a place that not only can I make a living from, but I'm also genuinely happy working for, which is uh, very rare in wrestling. And hopefully soon, though, you will be able to pack buildings again. So uh, I hope so. Yeah. Hey, um, you've been great with your time, and your story is is actually fascinating. I appreciate it. Um, where could uh, do you have a social media presence? I don't even know. I do, yes. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at Evil Uno, uh, one word. You can find me on Twitch at Evil Uno. That's where I play the video games uh, with my mask on. Um, and then everything, every other social media bar, TikTok, you'll never see me dance. Uh, I'm Evil Uno there as well. Well, at least you're consistent. Hey, and plus, uh, don't forget, folks, you can catch Evil Uno in the Dark Order each and every Wednesday, 8 o'clock on TNT Eastern Time. Uh, check your local listings, though, because I know the next few weeks are a little dicey because of the NBA championship. So, uh, But that's your uh, your permanent time. And, and glad you guys are able to have fans. And um, and as, as somebody who's a, a wrestling fan, I, I, you know, I root for all promotions, so I'm definitely rooting for you guys. Thanks so much for, uh, for stopping by and sitting ringside. And uh, best of luck to the future. Hopefully one day... Uh, can meet you and uh what could have a beer or something well thank you so much david 
want to thank Mr. Uno. Interesting story, and I can only imagine their frustration of finally getting this thing, this big reveal done, and the next week having to sit home for the next three months. Uh, it's just these the stories sometimes that you hear of, of frustration and lives changed by this horrible pandemic. Uh, are heartbreaking sometimes, but appreciate him coming on and uh, sitting ringside. And um, hopefully Colt Cabana and the Exalted One will uh, make up and uh, we get Colt on very soon. And again, one more time, want to thank the media people at AEW for putting this all together at the last minute, uh, being a conflict. So uh, next week we will be back with another big edition of sitting ringside scheduled to have impact world champion eric young on we'll talk to ey about his journey in pro wrestling and his upcoming match the main event at bound for glory it looks like it's going to be rich swan back in the ring defending or challenging excuse me for the impact world championship so Looking forward to talking to him and also EC3 down the road and a lot of other big guests to come. Thank you for sticking by us, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said earlier, if uh, you like what you hear, be sure to tell people, spread the word. We appreciate your support. You can follow me at David Penzer, all one word. And until next week, I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. The Big Ten made the announcement, and we have been talking about it. Everybody's been talking about it on social media as to how this was likely going to play out. And when the vote's going to take place and this vote took place here, there, and maybe it did or it didn't, but we kept hearing all the drops of what, when it's likely going to happen. And then there was the infamous ultimate open mic, um, by the Nebraska president where it was heard to say that Tuesday night, they'll make some decision. That's the timeline. And of course they did and announced it on Wednesday that there are coming back. They're going to be, playing football in the Big Ten at the end of October, the last weekend of October. All right, it's the 24th, so it may technically not be the last. It's end of October. It's a month away. Uh, first of all, I want to get in. What does it mean for the Big Ten teams as they are preparing for their season with a month left? The thought is, well, they've been practicing, so they'll be fine. They've not all been practicing. It's been little bit of a hodgepodge of spring practice type practices, fundamental type stuff, which is good. It is not quite what you do to prepare for a season. While there has been a lot of hope that a season would be resolved or something that could be recouped, um, it wasn't a definite. There are some schools, Wisconsin, for example, that's been out for a couple of weeks uh, in terms of practices due to some positive tests. It's not going to be easy as people think, oh, they can get ready in a month. Well, yeah, you can get ready in a month. You do what you can do, right? I mean, you do whatever you need to do, and and it may look better for some teams and sloppier for others, but we're going to have football. And so it's grateful for that. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.